Um, for those of you that are wondering what's going on, my name's Paul, and uh, I'm actually pastor here, but I haven't been here for three months. So I was away on what's called a sabbatical, um, which is really just a fancy word for uh, our church allowed me to get some rest after almost three years of leading us through COVID, and I just am so grateful. I'm not going to talk a lot about that. Next Sunday, I'm going to tell you more about what I did for three months, other than just stay in my pajamas. So... Um, but curious little story this week, I started back my first day in the office on Monday, and on Monday night, I got a sore throat, and my nose started to get stuffed up, and I thought, are you kidding me? I've been back to work one day, and, I, and you can maybe hear it in my voice a little bit, because it's kind of just still lingering, but I went home, and I said to Claire, like, geez, maybe I'm allergic to work. <clears throat> And she lovingly looked at me and said, I've known that for 29 years. So. <laughs> Listen, uh, we live everyday lives. You live an everyday life. And for some of you, that everyday life is amazing. And for some of you, it's boring. But whatever you think of your life, you're living an everyday life. We all live an everyday life. We might want to compare it with others, but even if we think someone has a better life than ourselves, they're still living an everyday life. And I need to tell you something. The Easter story happens in the midst of everyday life. The story of the death and resurrection of Jesus happens in everyday life. Easter comes around every single year and interrupts our everyday lives. And I think there's a beautiful, wonderful um, a graciousness to that. And the story that I want to read for you this morning about the death and resurrection of Jesus is about how he interprets his own death and resurrection. To Jesus, how did he see what his death and resurrection would do? And it's in the midst of everyday lives of his followers that we read the story. So I'm going to invite you, if you turn to Luke chapter 22, we're going to put the scriptures up on the screen, but I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to follow along. If it's on your phone, pull out your phone. If it's on paper, pull out the paper. If you'd like a Bible, um, there's some at the back. If you just put your hand up, one of our ushers, and uh, some of you decide right away who's an usher. If someone's got their hand up, bring them a Bible, and, and in the table of contents, uh, you can find Luke, the chapter Luke, and then go to 22. And we're going to read about a, a meal that Jesus had with his early followers. It's called a Passover meal. And in that, I think Jesus interprets for us how he sees what his death and resurrection would accomplish, what Easter is all about. So they are in an upper room that's been prepared for them. They're having a Passover meal, something that they've done many, many times. And then we read this at verse I'm king. They sat down together at the table, and Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it, and he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And then here's the verse that will follow. He took some bread... And he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. 
And after supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this is the new covenant between God and his people, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So here's Jesus taking something that was everyday and normal to his followers and saying, there's something new here. And he begins to speak about a new covenant. And the earliest Christians, the biblical writers who gave us our New Testament, begin to understand and write again and again all the things that we know about the cross and about the tomb are kind of encapsulated in this idea that Jesus sees himself starting a new covenant relationship between God and humanity. And this is the interesting thing, because the disciples would have had this meal with Jesus many times. Passover happened every single year, following the lunar calendar. This wasn't their first time sitting with Jesus. They'd been following him for three years. They had grown up as observant Jewish uh, men and women, and they practiced Passover. They celebrated the Passover every single year. This was an everyday experience for them. And then Easter happened. Jesus took it and he reinterpreted it and he said, now there's something new because of me, because of what I'm about to do. And he says, things are going to be different Jesus interprets for us this idea that his death and his resurrection was forming a whole new people in an entirely new relationship with God and that we are formed to be part of this new community. That startled them. That woke them up. That opened their eyes to something that they hadn't been expecting because they heard him talk about a new covenant and what would have been the question that they might have been asking themselves? Why do we need a new covenant? What's wrong with the old covenant? What's wrong with the way things are now? And Jesus invites them to experience something new. And yet it's going to take time for them to to really fill in the gaps. It's not like this was an epiphany and they understood it all. But as he was arrested and executed things began to shake up in their minds. And then as they began to hear about the empty tomb, they were moved strangely more and more into what he was saying. But it would take Jesus showing up among them to really begin to help them understand what it meant to be a new covenant people. And I think that maybe they began to think a little bit about... um, The prophet Jeremiah, who talked a little bit about this. But here are these people going through their everyday lives. And they have an encounter with Jesus. And for many of them, being with Jesus was an everyday thing. Only this time, something different would happen. Jesus began to say things and show them things that they hadn't yet thought of. And I just wonder how many parallels, how many times that has happened to people over the last 2,023 years of everyday lives having an encounter with God and then something changing, shaping, transforming. And I wonder if that's still happening yet today for you. 
So what does it mean for us that Jesus reinterprets an old covenant into a new covenant through his actions of his death and the resurrection? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for me? And I've, I've been thinking about this for, for years. This awareness of uh, being a new covenant people. And maybe that's new language for you. We tend not to talk a lot about a new covenant when we talk about the cross and the tomb. We tend to fixate mostly on God's died for your sins so that you could be in heaven. And that is part of exactly what Jesus did for us. But within the context, I think, of what Jesus interprets for us as the ultimate goal is to shape a new covenant people. So what does that mean for you and for me today? Well, I'll offer a few suggestions and then let you sit with those and let those um, ruminate for you. And I wonder if one of, the, one of the first things is that suddenly we realize we're not just saved from, but we're saved for. It's not just about from, but for. The biblical writers, the earliest followers of Jesus, make very clear that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And of course, it begs the question, when we talk about sin, what does that even mean? And the biblical writers will often refer to sin in a variety of ways, but it can mean not just that we're actively rebellious and that we've just broken some higher moral code and somehow need to be punished for that, but they talk about sin also as a sickness that requires healing in a doctor, or brokenness, or lostness, which is not really necessarily something that we've intentionally done, but it's something that's happened to us. And so the cross of Christ offers us healing, offers us forgiveness, offers us foundness, offers us liberation. We are saved from, we are saved from our sin. We are saved from the enemy, evil forces in this world working against us. We are saved from ourselves. You do realize in this world, not everybody believes in a higher power that has a moral code that we should adhere to. You understand that, yes? In fact, each of you, not only those of you who follow Jesus, you might subscribe, subscribe to what God wants for you and try to live according to that standard, but you also have your own standards that you set for your life. And I need to tell you something. You end up breaking those too. Not only are we incapable of, of living what God desires for us, we can't even live to our own standards. And the biblical writers just simply call that sin that there's something broken inside and it, we can't fix it ourselves. That's the beauty of the cross. But we're not just saved from that. We're saved for that, for something. And that's what Jesus does in this passage. We are saved to be God's new covenant people. And when he said that at that meal, I think they were reflecting back to something that they read in Jeremiah. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah wrote 
hundreds of years before Jesus. God is speaking to Israel, and Israel is struggling to live out their relationship with God, their old covenant relationship with God. And so God writes this, the day of coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. And then he talks about it not being like the one he made with their ancestors when he led them out of Egypt because they broke that covenant and they couldn't keep it. But the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord, I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. It won't be on paper or stone. It will be written on their hearts, a new covenant. I will be their God and they will be my people. They won't need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. We're not just saved from but we are saved for. We are saved for being God's people, being in a new covenant relationship with God, being able to live for the world what this looks like when humanity is reunited with God through the person of Christ. You're saved for something. God doesn't just want from you. He wants for you. And so Jesus says this cup represents a new covenant a sacrifice made for you so that you could live and participate in the very life of God as God's people. You're not just saved from. The good news is that you're saved for, that God has something for you, and it's not just when you die, it's something for you now to experience the presence of God now in your life in the context of walking and journeying with other people who are going in the same direction. Jesus says, that the Easter story is about forming a new people in a new covenant relationship with God. It's not just from, it's for. It's not just you, but we. The Apostle Paul was writing uh, to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth. And he wanted to correct something that was happening among them. You see, the story of Israel, the old covenant story, a lot of Christians will, you know, old covenant, new covenant. Does that sound familiar? Old Testament, New Testament? You know, interchangeable words. And Jesus said that the entire Old Testament could be summed up in, in one expression with two parts. And he called it the greatest commandment. You read it in Matthew 22, you read it in Luke, read it in Mark. And the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your, and all your, and all your, and all your, yeah. And the second is just as important, to love your, as, hey, you guys got this. It's all summed up in these two things. Jesus says, I'm making a new covenant with God and humanity. When you read the story of Israel in the Old Testament, this is what you realize. They were incapable of living out those two commands. They, they were prone to wander. And so the story of Israel is actually the story of them needing to live ex- with an exclusive love for God, but then they move into idolatry. 
right? They worship Baal and they worship Asherah and they go to Egypt and they go to Assyria and they go all these different people to try to help them, to save them instead of relying solely on their God. And then they do something else. They don't really understand the full import of loving your neighbor because it's very much about them. They're quite insular in their thinking and they think like we have, we have the scriptures. They don't. We're more lovable than them. And they live an us-and-them lifestyle. And Jesus says, through his death and resurrection, I'm making all things new. The old covenant that you were incapable of keeping is now fulfilled in me. And the invitation to be the new covenant people of God is to allow him to live his life in us. That's the difference. Through our freedom, through our forgiveness, through our liberation, Christ makes it possible for us to allow him to live in us through the indwelling spirit of Christ so that we now live out the full import of these two commands. Here's the thing. The Corinthians, even though they had Christ, they still had difficulty embracing this. And so they shared this meal together. We shared it on Friday. If you were there at the Good Friday service, we shared this meal together. It's called communion. Or for some of you, it's known as the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Only there were problems in how they were um, eating the Lord's Supper. And so the Apostle Paul writes this to them. And he just reminds them of how Jesus interpreted his death and resurrection. Verse 25, 1 Corinthians 11. In the same way, Jesus took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. To remember me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And then he writes this next verse. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. What did he mean by that? Let me show you a graphic here. Uh, let's go to the next slide. So the, the law is summed up in these two commands. An exclusive love for God and an inclusive love for your neighbor. And the Eucharistic meal, the communion meal, is a reminder of this very reality. And the Apostle Paul is saying, just like Israel has struggled with that, you are not allowing yourselves to have the living Christ live within you and to live through you. You're living the story of Israel. Because your love for God is not exclusive. You're turning to other idols. And your love for your neighbor is not inclusive. You've created a two-tiered system where some seem more worthy and more important than others. And you can read the context of that in that chapter 11 in Corinthians. There is a, a class system happening in the church that those who were uh, patrons or had more wealth were kind of taking advantage of that over the poor in the community of Christ. And the Apostle Paul was saying, that is not the cruciform life that Jesus gives for a new covenant people. Let me show you another way of envisioning this. An exclusive love for God, an inclusive love for neighbors. And the story of Israel is your story. They, they struggled with idolatry. And I wonder if we struggle with idolatry today in the church. Let me share a few false gods that I think uh, God's people struggle with in the West today. They have names. Individualism. Consumerism. 
materialism, <clears throat> and probably a variety of other isms that you could add to that. And yet Jesus has made it possible for us to allow his presence to indwell us so that we experience an exclusive love for God, but also includes the way we live for others, the way we inclusively love those around us. I think the early disciples struggled with who could be part of their family. Certainly not anybody who wasn't Jewish. And I wonder how often the church has struggled with that very same sentiment. Who can be part of God's family, God's new covenant people? Well, certainly not those people. And Jesus says, no, the Easter story is about me making it possible for you to live in the beauty of this single command, to love God exclusively through how you love your neighbors inclusively. It's not just you, but we. It's not just from, but for. It's not just ministry, but mission. I want to just jump over to the next letter. Paul wrote two letters to these people in Corinth, still focusing on this theme of a new covenant community and how they are to live. And the Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5. So he wrote one letter to them. They wrote back. We don't have what they wrote back. But then he wrote a second letter to them. And their church was full of all kinds of problems. The beauty of Corinthians is when you, you think like, oh man, the church is messed up today. And like, you, you haven't seen anything. Um, look what God does. You know, a messed up church isn't necessarily a sign of, of a lack of health. It might be that a, a messed up church is actually the most beautiful thing that could ever be because God is bringing together broken people and forming them into one new community. And that is going to have its problems. But I can't help but think that's a beautiful thing. And so the Apostle Paul was just trying to help the church move through and navigate through those things. So in the second letter he writes to them, listen to what he says in, in chapter 3, verse 6. Christ has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. It's a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old covenant ends in death. The new covenant of the Spirit gives life. And then he talks about how people struggle to understand that. It's like a veil is put over their mind. And so he spends a few verses writing about that, that Christ takes away the veil so that we can see fully and understand. And then verse 18, Paul writes, All of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is a Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And then he spends a couple chapters helping them understand how this happens in our weakness. And then in chapter 5, he says, now here's the kicker. We are ministers of this new covenant. We let the Spirit of God dwell within us and among us, enabling us to live out what it means to be the new people of God because he has saved us from our sin. He has saved us from our bondage. He has saved us from ourselves and made us for himself, a new people living out through the power of the Spirit, the ability to be the people of God. And then in chapter 5, verse 20, Paul says, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God.
The early Christians are a wonderful example of people leaning into this idea of moving beyond ministry to mission. Ministry tends to be uh, something that we look at for ourselves. So we ask questions, what do we need? What should we do? And in today's world, I think in, at least in Canada, when we talk about ministry, we tend to say that it's ministries and we look at it programmatically. So we create programs. We're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And those can all be good. But I think what tends to happen is we get fixated on those things, the things that we're doing, and we forget the greater picture or the mission. And the, and the Easter story, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, reminds us it's not just about ministry, it's about mission. It's about being ambassadors. It's about living as new covenant people, reflecting the image and the glory of God for who? for this whole world to see that there's a new way of living. And when we can lean into that, it gives us also the opportunity to explain things to those who are looking. So mission is about identity. It's about awareness that we are a new covenant people. We are saved from, but we're also saved for. That it's not just about you, but it's about we. It's about us. That we are people who are forgiven and we are people who are liberated and we are people who are renewed and regenerated and reconciled and we are indwelled by the Spirit of God as individuals but also when we come together. And it's not just about the programs that we have. It's not just about the ministries that we want to do. It's about the mission God has given to us. Mission is about identity and awareness. Mission is about direction. The disciples, after Jesus interprets for them what his death and resurrection are all about. He dies, he's executed, and then as we continue to read the story, where do we find them on resurrection day, on Sunday? Where are they? I'm not, I'm not really trying to lead you along here. They're in the upper room. They're in a room and the doors are locked. That's about direction. And it takes the resurrected Jesus to say to them, receive the Spirit of God. And he lives out for them, his forgiveness for them. And no longer are the doors locked, but then the disciples go out. It's not about, about being insular. It's about being other-oriented. It's about purpose and identity, or awareness and identity, and it's about purpose. New covenant people living out what it means to love God exclusively and to love our neighbor inclusively. Another way of phrasing that, the way that we've done it here at New Life, when we talk about what is our mission, our mission is helping people find and follow Jesus. See, a new covenant people can be described with words like embrace, engage, and follow as much as they can be described by words like believe and understand and know. The Easter story that happens in our everyday lives is not just about ministry. It's about mission. And one other thing that I've been really musing about while I've had lots of time to sit and think is that the Easter story is a reminder, at least for me, 
It's not just about security, but adventure. What words would people use to describe the church today? The big C church, the universal church. How would people in the West, in our world, describe the church? And you would have all kinds of different answers. I just wonder if they would actually use words like risk, adventure, sacrifice, maybe even failure. Would they use words like that to describe new life? Oh, that is a church that is willing to take risks. That's a church that loves to embrace adventure. Man, they really know how to sacrifice. And yet Jesus makes it possible for us to participate in his life. And everything about his life can be described by words like risk, adventure, sacrifice. We've become so enamored with our own security and our own comfort. And I wonder how much that keeps us from experiencing the adventures that God has for a new covenant people. I'm not talking about, like, adrenaline rush. Um, You know, let's go be crazy just because we're hooked on adrenaline. You have enough of that in our world. Just watch YouTube. If you want to see what adrenaline looks like out of control, click on YouTube and start scrolling. But I wonder why people don't really think about describing the church that way. Listen to what Jesus said to his followers after he told them back in Luke, long before Luke 22, back in Luke 9, his disciples are with them. And Peter actually says, we know that you're, you're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. And then Jesus says, yeah, and I'm going to die and rise again on the third day. And they're like, what? And then he says this. Verse 23, Luke 9. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. What a wonderful invitation for a new covenant people. Give up your life. Take the risk. Embrace the adventure of following Jesus. You're not just saved from. You're saved for. It's not just about you. It's about we. It's not just about our ministries. It's about mission. It's not just about feeling secure and safe in Christ. It's about adventure and an invitation for us to follow him into what some describe as cruciform living, living the way of the cross, living the way of Jesus. And maybe today is your reminder of what Jesus did and accomplished through his death and resurrection. He made a whole new covenant people. Maybe today's your call to receive God's love and forgiveness because you've never done that. And I invite you to just simply sit with God today and receive that, recognizing that you can't save yourself. You keep trying, but you can't. And just have a simple prayer with God today in the quietness of your heart. 
Give over your life. Give over the things you're holding on to and ask him to take those from you and to give you his life. Maybe today's your invitation to stop trying to live a comfy life and embrace what God's calling you into. Maybe today's your wake-up call that it's not just about you. It's, a, it's about we. Maybe it's your eye-opener that you're not just saved from, but for. And that maybe we could begin to be described as people who embrace and engage and follow the ways of Jesus. Not just believe and understand and know. For the next five weeks, we're going to launch out of here this idea that we are a new covenant people and ask the question, so how do we live? Jesus models for us how to live the cruciform life. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to invite you to journey with us Sunday on Sunday on Sunday on living the Jesus way. And I promise you, that Jesus himself will challenge some of the things that you're thinking about that are normal for everyday lives for Christ followers. And I invite you into that journey, that adventure, to take the risk in seeing where this leads. Let's take a moment and pray. As we've sang today, the empty tomb gives us hope. Jesus, thank you for the hope of the good news, a good news that is for everyone, not just some. Thank you, Jesus, for actually reminding us because we sometimes forget that you yourself understood what you were accomplishing through your death and resurrection. Broaden our horizons and open our eyes to dwell uh, in this beautiful realm of basking in the new covenant that we have with God because of what you've done for us, Jesus. Lead us into the adventure of being your people. Open hearts and minds today to finally let go of trying to be their own God and to give up this life they've been holding on to and let go of their brokenness and their lostness and to receive your new life, which only you can give. Knit us together and do a cruciform people with exclusive love for you and inclusive love for our neighbors. Thank you for the cross and the empty tomb inseparable and beautiful and wonderful. And we celebrate you today. Amen. I would love to remind you to consider um, joining a, a, a group that's happening on Thursday night starting on the 20th. 7 p.m. on Thursday nights for a number of weeks. I forget how many weeks it is. I'm just still getting back and getting used to everything that's happened while I was gone. 
But we're looking at uh, a book about how to understand Scripture. How do we read Scripture and understand? Based on a book by a guy named Scott McKnight, he wrote a book called The Blue Parakeet. And it's not, it doesn't mean that you have to read the book and study every chapter and have all the answers, but the book is, is actually a catalyst for the conversations that are going to happen around how we read Scripture. And what does that mean for us? And that's happening on Thursday nights. If you go to newlifecallingwood.com to what's happening, you can find it in there on the calendar. Click on it. It'll take you to a link. You can register. It always helps us to know how many are going to be there for Thursday nights. Uh, Thank you for your generosity over the past um, uh, quarter of the year. And just want to remind you today, as you go, there's a black box at the back for givings. There's a QR code there that you can take if you prefer to give online. And I just want to say thank you for your generosity and encourage you to continue considering your generosity as we move forward into our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. Um, yeah, what's happening? Go to the calendar. You can see what's there. If you're new here today, you're a guest for us, we do have um, a welcome desk and invite you to check it out. And there are people there that can give you some information. And I invite you today as new people to simply take the time to visit and enjoy being together. Meet someone new. Because uh, as new community, we want to always have an open spot for new people. And I just encourage you to take the time to meet new people and allow them to begin to feel like they belong and that they're part of this, this family here. Uh, as I said, next five Sundays, living the Jesus way. And uh, I'm going to invite you, just as we conclude, to stand because I want to ask you to pray a prayer with me. We're going to put it on the screen. And it's a very old declaration that the church has made. And, and I like it because he has risen, he has risen indeed, has gotten really old. So not that it's bad. But, uh, but I want to invite us, we're going to read this, and then we're going to read it again. And I want you to notice the underlying words just for emphasis. So let's make this declaration together as a new covenant people, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let's do that one more time. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Amen? Amen. Happy Easter. Celebrate well today. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless.